Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It is Friday, January 29th. Cold and snowy outside here in Omaha, Nebraska, but a beautiful day nonetheless. And um, I'm excited to have you listening. Uh, we've got a great episode, I believe, today. I think you're going to really find it fascinating. First of all, I'd like to thank my sponsors, as always, CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists, Cheyenne, Josh, and all the folks at CCS. Thank you, guys. Your support is much appreciated. The Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Jim Cover and all the consultants down in uh, Lincoln, well, I guess all over the state. Thank you, Jim. Um, let me just say, to get started, I've been a safety and health professional for about 35 years. It's been quite a long time, and it's interesting that I think most safety and health professionals, we tend, at least occupational safety guy, we tend to focus on injuries and illnesses. We tend to think almost exclusively of, you know, how do I protect my employees from machine hazards or slips and falls or even exposures perhaps to, you know, hazardous chemicals or things, noise, things like that, injuries and illnesses. And just very recently, my guest today, Robin Burnett, and I had an opportunity to speak. It's interesting because we were connected through a network that we that we are uh, – that. I was part of, and someone in that network said, you need to speak to her. She, she has some information that you need. And we started talking, and um, as you are going to describe it, it, it came, it was a realization for me that we have overlooked a tremendous piece of employee well-being as safety and health professionals. Yeah, and isn't it interesting, you know, you get an introduction to somebody, and one out of ten of them is a real quality introduction. And this one, for me, um, I've said, over the last couple months, how valuable it really has been. So for it's me as mutually, well. for mutually me as well. beneficial. No, it's fantastic. And I, and I think this is something that all safety and health professionals need to give a little bit more consideration to. And so my guest today is Robin Burnett. Uh, you are with Best Care EAP. And, it, and if you are unfamiliar with EAPs, an employee assistance program, some of you may have seen that acronym around but may not even know what it is. And so Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for I, having me. I appreciate it. And I would love for you just to describe from the beginnings, because many of these people are probably totally unfamiliar with EAPs, but you deal with the mental health aspects of employees. And, and substance and alcohol. Um, Excellent. Yeah, my my main expertise is, is the mental health side of it, but we do have drug and alcohol counselors on staff, and that is a big piece of what we do as well. But and, and that's really how EAPs came to where they, it is today. It started more on the drug and alcohol lines okay. in the 50s and 60s. People coming back from war and addicted. Yeah. So they're getting into yeah. the workforce and have addiction issues. And employers needed some sort of a safeguard um, to ensure risk and, and liability with their employees that were struggling. And that's, that's how it all came to be. I still to this day have no idea where employee assistance, EAP, where that term came mm -hmm. from. Um, and, you know, for some people, especially newer, the newer generational workforce, they have no idea what an EAP is. Right. Um, but for, for people that have been in the workforce and are familiar, it has somewhat of a punitive tone to it. Um, a lot of times people feel that um, it'll either get back to the employer or um, EAPs are only for disciplinary reasons, and that's really not the case. And 
in the 90s and in early 2000s, it became much more of a proactive approach to mental and behavioral health and, and getting employees the help that they need and getting them back to a more productive, healthier, happier work environment. So that's where it is today. And really in the last year, we've grown leaps and bounds. Oh, I can't imagine. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> yeah. you Yeah. for doing that. Because, you know, in, until we started speaking... It was really unusual for me specifically to even think about the mental health aspects of employee well-being. Right. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure, the more I think about it, the more important this becomes in my mind because I, I don't know that we can even begin to quantify the the effect of... That's what's so hard about it. Yeah, mental health issues, stress-related issues, anxieties, yeah. fears, you know, the effect that that has on, you know, the types of things that I'm concerned about, injuries and illnesses and and mistakes in the work environment that lead right. to these problems. I mean, that's a huge piece that we have overlooked for a long time. So, And that's the, the component to this that is so difficult um, for some people to wrap their minds around because it isn't quantifiable. I mean, I, I can give good statistics around it, and um, we believe very much in the ROI that we provide our employers. But that's what's so hard about it, just mental health and psychology in general, because it's such a soft science. We, you know, you have cancer. This is what stage you're in. This is what your treatment's going to be. It's very, for the most part, I mean, not always, because I shouldn't say that until somebody goes and cuts somebody open. You Mm -hmm. don't always know what's in there. But, you know, when it's in somebody's brain, it's really hard to know um, or get that quantifiable. Right data. Um, but in recent years, we have been able to produce more of that and show, um, you know, cause and effect with turnover, mm-hmm, short-term mm-hmm. disability, um, people tapping into utilizing their insurance for psychiatric reasons, because there's people that are collecting all of that data, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's brokers, insurance groups, whatever the case may be, they're, they're collecting that. So we Google. know, yeah, <laughs> just Google, no um, my best friend, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, but that's what makes our jobs difficult. You know, now that you, this door has opened and not to say, I think you probably had a a little bit of a grasp prior to meeting me, but now that this door is opened, it's it's pretty um, obvious, right? It is. But it it should whatever, have been. Yeah, but for whatever reason, we still have this um, barrier with employers, um, business owners, um, CFOs, <laughs> you know, people that um, want real data behind it and saying, yeah, but um, what if only one person uses it out of our 50 employees? Well, what if that one person was suicidal? And what mm-hmm. if we help them get the resources that they sure. need? Or what if somebody was um, struggling with alcohol every day and we got them into treatment? You know, mm-hmm. the, how do you put numbers behind that? And that's what's so hard. You know, we have that same, we, we, we fight that same argument in, in my side of the house, in the safety and health side of the house. People are always, you know, questioning, why am I putting all this money into something where I, I don't have any evidence that there is a need for it even, you or know? The, I mean, that risk is really there. Yeah, the proactive side of it can be very difficult for other than really enlightened I never thought leaders. of it from your standpoint, too. But, you know, the same thing would be true. We go through a facility and there are a number of, uh, you know, risks present, hazards, potential exposures, and but no one's gotten hurt this year, right, so why am right. I going to spend money on that? But Man, that the uh, potential exists, much like, I, I mean, the, the reason that I found it so fascinating is because this year in particular with the, with the um, COVID-related issues that we are all struggling with and people being out of work, but just that added layer of stress, I noticed that in my life that 
every day. Everybody I, did. I just seemed to be a little bit more tightly wound. You know, I mean, it just was there. And then if you yeah. throw on some family issue or some other health-related issue, children, parents, whatever that, I mean, workplace struggles, all of those things, it just seems like this is an incredibly important area that we should be focusing on for our employees. Absolutely. And what we've saw in the last year, you know, previous to the pandemic, it was always, um, well, so-and-so has um, major depression or so-and-so struggles with anxiety or another employee might be going through a divorce. Um, what we've seen with the pandemic is it is hit everyone. Mm-hmm. It, it's hit everybody in a little bit different way. Um, you know, some people more affected than others, but every single person has been affected. So for me personally, I, I decided to pull my kids out of daycare at the end of March because of that fear and the unknown and wanted to keep them safe and my family safe. And so I worked from home with a two-year-old and, uh, oh, not quite two-year-old, um, almost two-year-old and three-year-old. Um, I wanted to rip my hair out. Sure. But in the back of my mind, I kept telling myself it's for our safety. I'm doing this. Well, by June 1st, I, I decided to go back to this. <laughs> safety be damned. Yeah, yeah. We're Get just going to risk this. Um, you know, so I, I, I had my own struggles, but then I kept thinking, but I don't have school age kids and I can't imagine. We have so many of our employers that saw their um, employees struggling with balancing parental duties, um, doing schoolwork at home and having to do their job. I can't even imagine. And I didn't have that. I cannot either. I mean, my kids, um, I hope that by the time they go into school, we have gotten to a different place, but I don't know how some of these parents did that and are still doing it. I mean, here in the next couple of weeks, um, you know, our big school district here in, in Omaha will be going back to school. But, um, you know, we still have parents facing this. Yeah, that's amazing. So, my, my boys are up both in college, and so they're gone. Right. Um, but even then, there there were stresses that we were dealing with, you know, because they had gone online. Now I'm paying for my boys to be on, <laughs> right. on campus Right. And, and studying online from their dorm rooms that I'm dropping a considerable amount of money. It was we, always, I mean, everybody has these, I don't want to suggest that my stresses are. Oh, no, no, no. And that's you know. the thing, though, is it's it's all relative. Your stressors, um, you know, may be different than mine, but it still caused stress. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I don't, I try not to have people compare. Um, you know, it's just all relative to what you're experiencing and how you're handling it. And so, so talk about best care. Well, first yeah. of all, you are a mental health professional. Yeah, I'm a licensed mental health practitioner. I, um, I've been licensed for over 10 years now. Um, I have a background in mental health, obviously, but in, in a bunch of different capacities from um, being in a hospital setting. Um, my first experience was being in what's called partial care. So that's, it's kind of a little unknown entity. Um, and there's only a couple areas locally that you can get partial care. And that's when somebody goes inpatient for psychiatric reasons and, um, not quite ready for just outpatient, maybe once a week, Mm -hmm. uh, therapy. So this is in between that. Um, same with maybe somebody doesn't quite qualify for being inpatient, but they need something more than just outpatient help. So this it's called partial, um, very acute um, mm-hmm. psychiatric issues. Um, they can be in a partial care setting. And so it's almost like um, it's five days a week. It's almost like a daycare setting. Um, but you're doing group therapy sessions throughout the day. And you're also getting overseen by um, a, a, psych- a psychiatrist um, or nurse practitioner. So uh, monitoring the medication management piece of it too. Um, 
So that was my first experience. Um, I really liked the group therapy, and that led me um, to a, a, a pretty good-sized nonprofit here in the local Omaha area where we worked with adults with severe mental illness. And so I started in their day rehab treatment um, where I facilitated groups every day and um, did treatment planning, that, that kind of thing, and then um, worked my way into management there um, where I worked with about 25 social workers that would go in to people's homes, help them with daily living skills, and then also um, out in the community to getting to appointments, maybe going grocery shopping, those kinds of things. And um, I I oversaw six apartment complexes in the community as well. Um, about this time, I'll, I'll note, uh, I became a mom. <laughs> and so I was very feeling very, very overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the organization that I worked for. Um, I thought I was going to be a lifer there. Um and we actually partnered with Best Care. Uh, Best Care was our EAP provider. So as a manager, I would frequently um, provide my employees with these resources. I mean, you talk about, um, you know, a lot of them entry-level, frontline employees that sometimes work in two, three jobs, single parents, um, balancing a lot. And so I saw a lot within that workforce. And that's really what led me down this path of, you know, our focus is always, especially in a helping profession, our focus is always the people we serve, our clients, our patients, um, consumers, whatever you want to call them, without really thinking about those people that are taking care of mm-hmm. of those individuals. And we have to make sure that they're well in order to take care of of the people that we serve. And so that's what got me down this path. And at that time, Best Care happened to have an opening um, for their manager of accounts and education. Well, this position typically was a business-led position because you manage all the accounts that we have. So we, we partner with over 300 companies locally and nationally. We're a national EAP provider, um, but then also overseeing all of our training. So we have over a hundred training programs. I have three trainers underneath me. Um, and I'm like, there is no way I'm a clinician. Mm-hmm. I have that mental health background. There's no way that I'm getting offered the position. But what my boss saw in me was not only that passion, but I definitely have that business mind much more so than what a clinician typically mm-hmm. would have. I mean, mental health practitioners go into the field because they want to provide that direct patient care. And I didn't really have that. I, not to say I didn't like it, but I very much liked the administrative side. I liked being in management. Um, and now with being at Best Care, and I just hit my three-year mark, um, I feel that I have a voice on a much bigger level. I Absolutely. get to talk to business owners. I get to talk to CFOs, HR directors, wellness directors, and talk about the impact of mental health on their workforce. So I have a bigger voice, but I do sometimes miss that direct client mm-hmm. care that I Absolutely. used to give. Sure. Um, sure. So that's well, you what have come led to the me. right place because everybody here at uh, at uh, Herdat can certainly benefit from your expertise. <laughs> I, every yeah, every family gathering, oh, everybody sure. makes a joke about how. I went into this field because of them and they all need help. So yeah. it's always, I, I have therapists written on my forehead. I know oh, yeah. everybody why, comes Why are you looking me. at me? Why are you staring at me? <laughs> yeah. But so let's talk a little bit about, um, so from an EAP standpoint, what an EAP actually is and this assistance program and then what best care then offers what you guys do. Yeah. So for an EAP in general, we have st- standard EAP contracts where an employer large and small. I mean, a common misconception that I have really tried to debunk over the, especially over the last year, because I've gotten in front of a lot more uh, organizations and business owners is that you're not too small. You could be an 
employer of husband, wife, and uh, one employee. Um, we have groups as small as three or four that we're partnering with, which previously, you know, a few years ago, that would have never happened because they either didn't see the need or the misconception that maybe that the mental health issues weren't there because they're so small. But we know one in four people are struggling with a mental health issue. So, I mean, if you think about, if you're a small group of one in four, you know one person's I at mean, least struggling. I mean, there's three of us in the yeah, room right, right now. Right, so. I know. And when I when I say this, I always look around and <laughs> everybody starts looking at each other. Right. But, um, you know, so for our, our standard EAP contracts, it's groups small all the way up our largest um, uh, employer group we work with is about 12,000 employees. Mm, wow. So we really run the full range. Um, and they usually pay a per employee uh, per year fee. Okay. Um, for our small groups of under 100, um, they usually just pay a flat fee um, to cover all their employees. And to keep in mind with these standard contracts, it's not just for the employee, it's for their dependent family members. So I, oh, I always oh. want to remind people of that. It's not just for a significant other, but for dependents up to age 26. So if you have a son or daughter going to college, mm-hmm. um, you know, likely they're going through their own struggles, they can call Best Care and we'll get them set up with a clinician wherever they're at. I didn't again, know that. again, we're a national provider. So we have over. 5,000 um, affiliate providers scattered across, across the country so we can meet that need no matter where they're at. Oh, that's incredible. And I had yeah. not even considered that, but um, gosh, that's an incredible benefit to be, I mean, because I know both of my boys to have, having said that, um, yeah, have needed and we have recommended to them some type of, you know, counseling or something, that just the basic stresses of life and school right. as a young person. I mean- it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a diagnosable condition. You're just right. having daily struggles that you could use an outsider's perspective and unbiased. You know, it's great when you have really great connections between among your family or your friends, but getting an unbiased perspective, uh, an outsider, it, it's incredibly helpful. And, you know, I had gone through a couple therapists early on in my adult life, and I thought this... This is bogus until I found that one. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the other thing I always tell people. If you don't feel a good match, mm-hmm. keep trying. Mm-hmm. There's somebody that you'll find a good connection with. Um, now, as, as the last few years, I've, I've lost touch and I haven't made it a priority. But I keep saying, I, I need to call that person again mm-hmm. and, and get reconnected. Because everybody could benefit for, oh, no from doubt. it. Everybody has their own struggles and going through some things that getting another perspective Absolutely. is so helpful. Well, I think you touched on something. I'm sure there are a number of misconceptions about EAP. One of them being you got to be batshit crazy before you need Absolutely. to seek out some type of assistance. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, the crap is hitting the fan, right? Mm-hmm. No. And we take, we really have tried to focus on a proactive approach to mental health and well-being and specifically utilizing the EAP service. So interestingly enough, it, this was actually before the pandemic, but I had I had talked to two different HR directors. Um, we were just reviewing their reports and talking about different promotional pieces we could get them. And they said, on two different occasions, I had both of them say, yeah, we actually um, utilize the EAP. We use it every year, um, about the same time, right before the kids start school. We take them in. Uh, for counseling sessions and just do a quick mental health check-in to see how they're doing before they start the school year. Wow. And I thought, how cool is that? That is really cool. You know, I, I hadn't, again, 10 years ago, you would have never heard that, Mm-mm. you know, but another interesting thing, you know, you talk about, um, you know, indicating people being in crisis mode, still our number one reason why somebody utilizes our services because of marriage and relationship issues. Of course. Um, 
and which may not be surprising to some, but a lot of times people think, um, EAP, oh, it's probably related to their job or career. And that's not, I mean, it is in our top five reasons why somebody accesses EAP, but marriage and relationship by far. And we've been in operation for over 40 years. And I'd venture to bet that in that 40 years, most of those years have been marriage and relationship as number one. Wow. So, and the, the, the other piece of that, and I, why I think marriage and relationship is so big is because even if you have mental health benefits covered in your medical plan, um, those things aren't typically covered under that. So marriage and relationship or family, let's say you want to bring a son or daughter in, those things aren't typically covered under a medical insurance plan. So you're going to be paying out of pocket. And that's why a free, you know, an employee using a free AP for those reasons is so, because you're paying upwards of $200 a session Mm -hmm. out of pocket if you're not using an an EAP. Um, And the reason behind that is um, it's not typically a diagnosable condition. It's just um, a life struggle. Right. Um, Right. And insurance needs a diagnosable condition in order to bill. Of course. So. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, yeah. Um, Other misconceptions. um, What I mean, as I think we talked before we actually started recording about the misconception that if someone seeks out EAP assistance, they are going to be somehow blacklisted now by their employer or something. Right, right. That um, that confidentiality piece. And I remember as a manager who partnered with Best Care um, in giving out this information, oftentimes I would hear employees say, yeah, but um, I heard so-and-so used it and it got back to the manager or mm. got back to the HR person. And I was always having to say that that wasn't true. Um, and you know, it, it, sometimes that may or may not matter if your manager or HR person is, is saying it's confidential. Um, but it really does take, I, that's why I always talk about that peer to peer interaction and testimonial is so incredibly helpful because, um, they're going to be the, the frontline people to those other peers saying, Hey, I used it. It was great. Mm-hmm. It didn't get back to the employer. Um, but that confidentiality pa- piece, I think it, I would argue is probably the number one reason why somebody doesn't access their EAP. Yeah, people are reluctant because they're afraid of that. Right. They're afraid that it's going to get back. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case. We have to f- we have to follow the same HIPAA guidelines as any other medical entity. Um, you know, we do offer reporting to our employers, but it's just basic information of um, how many people utilized it, um, what was their reason? Um, what was the top reason why they accessed it? Was it because of a marriage issue? Mm-hmm. And that's always interesting for employers to know because then they can make a concerted effort going forward of Absolutely. maybe we're going to have some good training surrounding this. Let's say um, anxiety was their number one or stress was their number one. Then have us come in and do some work-life balance training. So that's just really good information. And even when we um, get some of that demographic information, we make sure, especially if it's a small group, I mean, you talk about employer groups of 50 or more. If you say, I've been with a company, you know, this is just some basic demographic information we get. I've been with a company for five years. I'm in IT. Well, that HR manager is going to find out pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, that sounds like Joe. Sure. Um, we, we eliminate all of that information if it's a small group. So we make sure that there's no identifiable mm-hmm. information yeah. that it could get yeah. traced back to that employee. I think that is incredibly useful information though. And I think the employer would really want to know that what issues are my people struggling with. Yeah, we offer really comprehensive reporting and that's one thing that sets us apart from other EAPs, especially free things that are grouped into like a life insurance plan. Um, 
is we give exact data. If I am, if we partner with employer A, we get exact data. We give exact data based on employer A's utilization. Mm-hmm. Um, so we give all the stats on how many people viewed our webinars or how many people signed into this training. Um, you know, we we give all of that. How many people used our twenty four seven emergency call number? Wow. Um, so, but wow. it's specific to that company. So they get real life data. So we, again, we try to give as much ROI information as we can. Mm -hmm. So that employer Mm -hmm. knows our benefit and will want to continue to partner with us. Definitely. So the obvious one then is the uh, kind of the face-to-face or virtual, whatever we're doing at the moment, counseling, (laughs) right? you know, that interaction. But then you touched on a few other things, the training, webinars, talk about some of the other services or at least informational options people would have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so there are other things that I believe really set us apart and why we're the leading provider of EAP services in the region. Um, we offer very comprehensive training. So we have over 100 training programs to choose from. Um, they're in different areas of management and leadership. So how do you manage better? How do you, um, maybe you're newly promoted into a position and you are going from a peer to a boss and making that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you have um, intergenerational workforce that you're trying to manage. Those are all things that we can train to. Um, we have trainers that have experience in HR management. We have trainers in, um, that have experience in industrial organizational psychology and in education. So they have a breadth of experience. And our trainers only train. So in other EAPs, they'll assign Joe Blow counselor to go do this training. Well, I can tell you, we're working with counselors most of my career uh, career, they're not always the best trainers. You want somebody that's engaging, that knows what they're talking about from a management perspective. Most clinicians don't have management experience. So our trainers only train. um, And then we also offer a lot of personal training. So again, that work-life balance, stress management, um, thriving in chaos, you know, how do you excel in those, in those times? Um, and then also we have um, categories related to uh, professional development and um, psychology and well-being. So we have a lot of different categories. And then lastly, uh, more teamwork communication, teamwork, team building, those kinds of things. How do you make a cohesive team and how mm-hmm. do you be a, a player in that um, mm-hmm. as a peer? So we have all those trainings. And we also have academy boot camp sessions. So these are half-day or full-day um, boot camps that we do for management and leadership to really build those soft skills. This is a great piece that a lot of our organizations that we partner with, they are very well-versed in this, and they will send every new manager to our next boot camp. And we offer these several times a month every year. Um, and is that an add-on, or is that part of your membership? Or? Nope, that's an add-on. Um, that's one of our only add-on features. Most of our stuff, like our trainings, um, are part of part of partnering with us. Um, that's part of our contract. Nice, okay. Um, but those those academy sessions are a la carte, um, but they're very very affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, which <laughs> I look at other uh, places that do leadership training. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we we've undersold our services, yeah. but. That's why we have right. the name that we have and so many mm-hmm. people. And all of these services can be offered to anybody regardless of whether they utilize our EAP services or not. They just pay a different rate. Um, we so have our client rate and then okay. our non-client rate. So if if um, a random organization knew about our academy sessions, they could send members of their leadership and not have us as their EAP provider. So, oh, fantastic. 
Um, and then we also offer um, critical incident response. And you and I have talked about this quite a bit, and I always like to tell people about this. Um, this is offering a clinician if in the event you had a traumatic incident, we've had a lot of workplace injuries. Mm-hmm. So people viewing somebody falling, Absolutely. I mean, it's very traumatic. It is. So we offer that, and that can be done virtually or in person where we go on site and offer that debriefing for the affected group. Um, and we always recommend that to be done within 48 hours of the incident um, or an employee death. Um, so those are things that can be offered. And then the last um, thing that I always like to touch on is we also offer one-on-one performance coaching. Um, so if you have somebody that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, is is a good performer, maybe they're new in their position and just need that one-on-one um, soft skill building to be a better leader, um, we have that performance coaching available too. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yep. So you touched on the one that actually drove me to you, I think, initially, yes. was this critical incident yeah. response. This is the one that I, me personally, I have had experience with. Well, you um, said you partner with a lot of construction. Well, I, I've worked with a number of companies over the years as an OSHA person at, and as a consultant that have had a fatality or one of these horrific uh, workplace injuries. And, again, the impact of that on that workforce um, is almost immeasurable, but we know it's significant. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous to just assume that guys are going to be able to, you know, shrug it off and go back to work with right. no consequence. And so, and I, I've seen injuries like that destroy companies, oh, clo- yeah. close companies. I mean, so in my opinion, I mean, all of these things are absolutely critical and beneficial, but that piece, I think every company should be prepared for that either by having contacted you guys and at least you know initiated this relationship and explored what that looks like so that when it does occur because as you said it's it has to be initiated within 48 hours or or it it really just um becomes um i don't know the right word but it just it's not as effective. But whatever the impact is is going to have on them, it's already ingrained, yeah. and it's hard to dig that back. And out arguably, we have some organizations that will bring us on site within that forty eight hour time frame, and then bring us back um, mm-hmm. a couple weeks later to do do another check in. You know, people are struggling, and you know that they're going to talk about it. Um, you know, whether it's just amongst themselves, but. You know, I always go back to I. It's interesting as an EAP, we're we're not only there for the employees and supporting the employees, but we're there as an organizational support. Um, you know, whether it's that HR person, so we we play both sides of it. Um, we're we're definitely there to help support their employees on a clinical level, um, but we also are there to help that organization be better and be a better culture, um, just function more efficiently. Um, and so those are things that we talk about often is, you know, what message does it send when you have something like that happen, but then the employer doesn't do anything about it? Um, well, I think there's or, a- absolutely a message that's sent by that. That's Or sometimes I'll have HR people say, well, we already, I did a quick debriefing with them. Well, I can tell you, being in those positions, um, you know, as a frontline manager or frontline staff, um, having an outsider come in just speaks volumes, and especially somebody who has that clinical background to speak that language. Mm-hmm. Most HR people are not trained mental health professionals, nor should they take that on. They mm-hmm. have to wear so many hats and are burdened by so many things. Let us come in and do that. Right. Um, and bear that weight and speak that language to those employees. 
um, and point them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think it speaks volumes. And when we talk about culture, when it comes to engagement and retention, um, what message is that sending um, when somebody comes in, a clinician comes in after something like that and saying that we truly care about you and your mental health um, and we want to address this now? Mm-hmm. Well, that that is kind of the buzz in the safety and health community, we, we talk about this culture or attitudinal issue all the time. How do I improve my culture? Right. How do I, you know, I, and I think sometimes it's so obvious that we miss it, that caring for your employees in ways like this, making these opportunities available to them, ensuring that they're, these things are being addressed when they're needed. Uh, I mean, if you want to move your culture in the right direction and show your employees that you care about them. I think this is, there's no better way than this. Yeah. And when I was um, first starting with the government back before you were born, <laughs> probably, but we had an EAP. I mean, I, I can remember once a year, somebody would come around and they'd hand us a flyer and they'd talk about the EAP and we'd all look at each other like, well, well at least I, they did that much. I know he's nuts, but I'm not, I'm not nuts. I don't need any, you know, I mean, and that's what you thought. I mean, this is for whack jobs, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't we didn't equate that to stress and anxiety yeah, everyday life. issues and i'm telling you Doug the new emerging workforce whatever anybody likes to think about um about these new workforces but millennials and gen zers are much more open about talking about mental health. So we as employers and members of leadership need to be equipped to talk about it. If somebody comes to them and says, uh, I'm struggling mm-hmm. with my depression or I'm, I'm drinking more, I, I need help. Mm-hmm. So we need to be equipped to point them in the right direction and have those candid conversations with them and sometimes uncomfortable yeah. conversations. Um, but we actually know statistically that that emerging workforce is looking for that when they're seeking employment too, that they are, they are looking for employers that are going to have open conversations. Um, you know, every, the big, the big talk in the last year is also diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Um, mental health is a piece of that. Right. So we need to make sure that we are providing the resources to our employees so they stay with us. And, um, that, when they have those everyday struggles or if it's a diagnosable condition, they're getting the help that they need. Mm -hmm. I I think, again, you've mentioned so many things that resonate with me, but one of the things that you talked about was retention. And that is an issue that in my world, which tends to be a more blue collar world, you know, industrial manufacturing, construction settings, retention can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I companies struggle, you know, incredibly with retention. And I think it's interesting that that, you know, that the EAP piece, the best care piece is something that would really help them with issues of retention. Well, we offer a lot of assistance with that. You know, again, when I go back to that organizational support, we offer one-on-one strategic planning with that organization. So this is incredibly helpful, especially for those smaller groups that are one man, one woman shows and trying to do Mm -hmm. it all. We can offer some strategic planning on what we can help a system with in the next, you know, we'll plan it out in a year, uh, a year span um, and map that out and really help assist that because they have so much on their plates and that's really difficult to manage. And then it'll get six months from now and they're like, oh gosh, I, I forgot to be promoting the EAP, you know, mm-hmm. or so we help with that strategic planning when it comes to health and wellness initiatives and what we've seen work really, really well with organizations and what we've seen work not so well. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, um, gosh, there's so many things. Um, 
you know, my mind obviously is so dis- <laughs> disorganized that it just goes in so many different directions. But one of the things I want to touch on before we wrap things up for today, and hopefully you'll come back and we can oh, talk yeah, more about this. Oh, yeah, I love this. it. I love it. Um, you had talked about some of the trainings that you do, again, that, that are directly related to what I do would be things like workplace violence issues yep. or harassment issues. Yep. Things like that that are... Drug um, and alcohol. Oh, and, yeah. These uh, are huge. You know, confronting somebody who you, you think might be under the influence. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, sexual harassment's a big one, mm-hmm. um, especially since the onset of the Me Too movement. I mean, there were some of our organizations that would have us come in once every five years to do sexual harassment, and we've just seen a spike in the last few years of um, employers trying to be a little more proactive on Good. that. And um, they've even strategically... Um, you know, mapped out what that looks like for their demographic, the training piece of it. So breaking executives into one group, breaking middle managers into one group, and then um, frontline employees and training every single person. You know, um, everybody needs to be well-versed in it um, and know what to do. Another new one that we just um, launched this year is, um, it's called the Not-So-Innocent Bystander. And it's really, um, it's a great program coupled with harassment training because it holds your employees accountable for their actions or lack thereof. So if I Mm -hmm. see somebody getting bullied, what am I doing about that? Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't always fall on just leadership and HR because I'll tell you, I talk to a lot of HR people that say, we're the last to know. Sure. You know, and even supervisors, you know, I remember as a supervisor and managing a pretty a fairly large team that I felt in the weeds most of the time. I, you know, I was just doing my own work and unless somebody came to me, I, it it wasn't overt. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you on a peer level have that responsibility and that's what that training is for. So that's one of our brand new programs. I love that. And that, I mean, that, I mean, gosh, that goes, (laughs) that goes exactly to the same thing that we in safety and health deal with is, you know, managers supervisors are not out on the floor continuously they're not they're working managers too and they have their own stuff they are doing their thing and so if we as peers or co-workers see one of our co-workers engaged in some unsafe behavior or maybe they're just unaware of something unsafe and that's actually more more the case Doug it's not anything malicious yes a lot of times they're just not even aware right and so how do you how do you start those conversations at those conversations as a peer and we really help role play that Mm -hmm. um so yeah we're one thing that we've really tried to morph into with our training piece of it used to be we would have five to 10 new programs every year, we would announce them at the end of the year and make them available come January. And then have our new catalog ready for, for all of our employers to, to see and start scheduling throughout the year. Because a lot of our employers, they are chomping at the bit on our training. They, they know, um, we take a lot of pride in our training um, and they're very well received. So they'll, a lot of times they'll book out the whole year um, and, and plan those strategically. But what we've done since the onset of the pandemic is we've become much more fluid with our training and we're developing. So just 2020 alone, we developed 31 new trainings and we were pushing them out um, several times a month. So Mm. we had a mental health awareness uh, series that we did. um, And then we did several through, we had a whole summer series. So relevant topics related to the times. And what we've seen over the last year is, um, the times were changing by the week, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, it wasn't just the pandemic. We had the whole social and racial tensions that happened in May and June oh, the, the and still, and still prolonged. All, all yeah. Sorts of and then the political divide. Mm-hmm. And so, and what's interesting is 
employers were seeing this come out in the workforce, in the workplace. You know, previously, people kept that under wraps at home, right? Mm -hmm. People were seeing these tensions come into the workplace, and that was an issue. And so, and a lot of our employers were saying, we're seeing behaviors that we've never even seen before, or mm -hmm. we're seeing our high, high performers really struggling um, with different issues. So we've had to become much more fluid and relevant with the times with our training. So that's really launched us into this next phase. And we're happy to do that where um, we're producing um, really relevant content to what's happening right now. That's, that's amazing. I, you mentioned that I, I was in a facility maybe a week or two ago where I actually observed just that. I watched, I was out on the floor, I'm walking around, I always interact with the employees, just try to, you know, just develop some kind of rapport with them and build some confidence or trust with them. And I'm watching some of these employees engaging in a political argument that is getting heated because they always do. Oh, yeah. They always go immediately to the emotional side. And now I'm watching this and I can feel the tension and I'm like... I. I just kind of stepped in and like, what the, f excuse my language, <laughs> what are we doing here? Why are we even having this conversation? Maybe we shouldn't, if we know this is going to become problematic, maybe we shouldn't have this conversation right now because we're in the middle of a factory. I yeah, mean, we're at work. We're surrounded and we're surrounded by, you know, hazards. And so let's get our minds back on what we're doing. But that happened, that must happen every day. Yeah, all the time. In workplaces all around the country. All it's the just, time. It's so immediate. The need is so immediate. So... We are running up on time. So tell me, how do people get in touch with you or the organization? And, and I'm going to insist that they do because this isn't an option. I mean, people need to be doing this. Yeah, and I say that and I try not to be, um, you know, I, I try not to sound so uh, direct, but really it has come to the point where employers are obligated they, they I mean, they, right. they really are. Um, they have to be looking at more robust mental health. And I'll go as far to say there's actually that's going into effect 2021 is what's called the Mental Health Parity Act. And this, and I'll be interested to see how this might affect the world of EAP. I don't really see it affecting it too much, but basically, um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not an insurance guru. I'm not well-versed in it, but I've just recently in the last week uh, started dabbling in it. But um Insurers are going to be held accountable, and also those um, employers who have group plans um, are being held accountable to ensure that mental health is being covered at the same level as medical and surgical needs. Mm. Um, so this is the next phase. This started a couple years ago, the, these initiatives, um, and we're in the next phase now of um, people really enforcing that. So point being, employers have an obligation to look at mental health. They can no longer turn a blind eye to it um, because it's it's right there. It's right in front of them. Yeah. We know employees are struggling. Our own leadership and business owners are struggling. Why would we think our employees show up to work and are ready to work every day and going to be productive? It's right. just not the case. It's not. Um, so we, we know that they have that obligation. And, um, you know, there's a number of ways that people can contact us. Um, we have our local... Um, number here in Omaha, which is 402-354-8000. Um, we are a division of Methodist Health System. So 
We're not only Methodist Health System's EAP provider, obviously. Um, so there's a, a workforce of about 8,500 employees that we serve. Um, but then, like I said, we outsource that to employer groups, of, up, upwards of about 300 employer groups we partner with locally and nationally. So that's the other misconception Fantastic. is that we can only provide these services locally. We've recently had bids um, for EAPs that are only located in Texas or uh, New Mexico or Florida, and that's okay. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get... Uh, provider set up in that area and we'll service them just like they would be here. Nice. Um, Got a website or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. www.bestcareeap.org. Okay. When you go on there, there's a nice contact us feature on the top right-hand corner. You can just click that, fill in an uh, entry box, um, and just say, I want some more information about EAP services. And they'll kick that over to me and um, I'll reach out to those individuals. They can also email me directly. It's Robin, R-O-B-Y-N dot Burnett, B-U-R-N-E-T-T at bestcareeap.org. Okay. I'm happy to um, have people contact me directly and I can get them some more information. Um, well, bit, you better be careful what you wish services for because and, uh, I'm yeah. going to insist that everybody that I know, that everybody that is listening is going to make that, either make that call or that contact through the the website. Oh, because yeah. I think that we have kind of just wish, and I don't want to say wishy, that's not the right choice of terms. We have kind of just maybe avoided this to some degree, or we've maybe yeah. just tried to deny it or the importance of it. I think that we have reached a point, we're beyond the point, where as you said, this is this is critical, this is mandatory, this cannot be... Yeah. I remember, um, in the first month of the pandemic, my dad calling me and, you know, my dad's wonderful. And, um, but most of my family ever since going into psychology, they all were like, why are you going into psychology, go into business to go into a real trade? Um, what's nice. I always talk about the silver lining, but what's nice is I've really, um, I really have been able to establish myself and my profession in the last year. And I remember him calling me in that first month of the pandemic and he called me and said, just wait, baby, people are going to be calling you. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, you're absolutely right. It's already started. We have in the last year been absolutely inundated. I mean, it's been gangbusters, but not, we don't look at it as, um, Oh, we're going to be rolling in dough because that's not the case. I mean, we're we're still considered a nonprofit. We put things right back into the organization and to Methodist as a whole. But we're looking at it as okay, it's about time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a mental right. health professional, right. and this is the first time I'm getting to do things like this. I'm getting to talk on podcasts. I'm getting to go present in front of groups. And as a mental health professional, that's pretty cool. Uh, that is good. I'm glad. Well, it's it's long overdue. I think uh, awareness of this. Um, has always kind of been on the fringe, but I think I think everyone understands now that this is no longer yeah. something that we can uh, put off or avoid. I think we all need to be taking steps to make sure that we have these things covered in place. If our employees need assistance, if they need training, if we need training, yeah, us I ourselves. love the stuff that you guys yeah. do organizationally to help leaders, which I think is also a huge piece of this from from my standpoint. So what you guys are doing, and, and this is the third time we've spoken, and I learn something new every time. So <laughs> That's good, because every time I talk with you, I feel like I'm repeating the same no, stuff. No, this, it is a huge world, this mental health world that you live in and that yeah. all of us are affected by. So And it's ever-changing. Ever-changing. It's really amazing. <laughs> well, this has been incredible. I, I'm actually exhausted. <laughs> I, I don't know this. Join my world. <laughs> just trying to keep up with all of this information, to me, is tremendous. I love, I, I still love to learn this stuff, and... I think there is a tremendous need on my side of the table in my world. And so I'm going to certainly push this information out. Hope people 
understand its importance, appreciate it, and get in touch with you, and yes. um, then you can help direct them to maybe what they need, Absolutely. what would best benefit their companies. Um, and then maybe six months from now, we can do this again and you can just update us on how things are going. Yeah, I would love to. And, you know, if you ever wanted to do a focus, uh, more of a focus uh, discussion, um, you know, we can talk about youth and adolescents. We could talk about social media. We could talk about drug and alcohol, whatever. I mean, because there, there really are. We could go on for days. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to. And I, I, I think it speaks volumes to you as well that you see the value. Um, not everybody in your profession does yet well maybe um, not so i i appreciate you having somebody like me on to talk about yeah it's fantastic I, I think this is a huge piece of what we do i mean if we, if we are sincere about um if we say that our employees are our most most valuable asset right. which is which is the mantra everyone yeah. says it but not everybody believes it and i think if you truly do believe that this is this is a piece of that puzzle that everybody has to embrace Absolutely. And so thank you so much for the thank information. You. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, give Robin a call or reach out to her, reach out to her as soon as you can. I, th- I think this is incredibly timely and, and critical. So let's get started and um, have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.